0: Welcome to the Access Church Podcast and our Sermon of the Week. Wherever you're joining us from, we hope that this message is an encouragement and a blessing to your life. Before we jump into the Word, uh, about four and a half years ago, how many years since we moved into our home? Four years? Four years ago. Uh, We moved into Park Forest and uh, part of Moving into our home, we got some new appliances in our kitchen. And uh, actually, I don't even think there were a couple of appliances we're, were missing. So, you know, we went, we picked out the, the appliances for our kitchen. And we go and we look at the refrigerator section. And, you know, we didn't go with like the Ferrari of a refrigerator with like the LED screen. But we didn't go with like the base model, uh, you know, college student special. So we kind of got like a little step up from that and bought this refrigerator. It was about maybe $800, $800 to 1000 or whatever. And I think, you know, the guy at Lowe's threw a demon in as well with this refrigerator. <laughs> so I want to kind of set up this text for you because I- I'm going to get up on my soapbox for a minute, okay? Just bear with me. How many years have we had this refrigerator? Four years. There are four light bulb things in this refrigerator that are LED. One of those costs $129, okay? So within, exactly, thank you for asking, I'm going to tell you. <laughs> okay, within these four years, two of those have been replaced once, and then two other ones, I believe, were replaced a couple years after that. So, so far, we've had at least four of these bulbs replaced. There are only four of them in this refrigerator. So about a week and a half ago, I opened the fridge and the lights start to dim. And I'm like, oh my gosh, here we go again. And there are two on the right, two on the left, and it was two on the right. And they start dimming. And I'm like, okay, Lord, fix this stinking thing. So You know, I I figure out if you push the water button, the lights will actually work. So if you open the fridge and push the water button real quick and just like click it, the lights will work. So so it worked like a couple days that way, and then they went out. So I was like, okay, well, let's see what's going on in the fridge side or the freezer side. So the freezer side was fine. So I'm like fidgeting around with the button, and then all of a sudden the freezer side bulbs go out, but the refrigerator side bulbs are correct. So I'm thinking like, okay, at this point, there's probably four of these things that are going to need to be replaced. And I'm, in my mind, I'm like, I could probably put like a little, one of those little pop-on lights inside the refrigerator or something like that, because I'm not spending money on these bulbs. So after kind of fidgeting quite a bit with them, all of a sudden, all four of them are working, but they're working at like 20 or so percent. So... And if you've been in our house, like, we've got a family of six, so, like, we have a lot of food, and you need to be able to see, okay? More than just, like, turning your smartphone, you know, flashlight. So, anyway, about a couple days ago, you know, those tw- lights that were working at 20% are now, they're, they're not working at all. Now you add on to it, you know, that the, the mechanical thing to the ice machine is broken, and so, like, I have a demonized refrigerator from, like, the very pit of hell, Okay? something stood out to me, because now I'm going to have to call these repair guys, and we're like on a first-name basis, okay? They're getting like a Christmas card probably this year. So, you know, I'm kind of anticipating this phone call this week that I don't lose my salvation as I talk to these people from the refrigerator company, like, why in the world? Like, I even Googled, how long is a refrigerator supposed to last? 10 to 15 years, so I'm at year four. And, and these bulbs, I mean, I'm going to, at this point, you know, the bulbs are going to be more than the refrigerator costs on the front end. But the last time these guys were at my house, he said something to me that really stood out. As he's replacing this $120 LED thingamajig that, thank God, they, they covered under whatever the warranty was. Um, but he said to me this. He said, years ago... I used to be able to put in a 30-cent light bulb that would work 10 to 15 years. He said, these things are just not built to last. Now, how many of you, you've had an experience with something technology? It's just not built to last, right? It's like these Schemers at these companies kind of sit behind. They're like, let's come up with a product that's got more expensive parts when they're sold separately than when it's all together, and let's set it up in a way that they, you know, they break over time. We'll just, it's like a big money racketing thing. But it wasn't built to last. I wanted to say, well, Where's the used refrigerator section where I can buy one of those refrigerators that'll last until like Jesus comes, right? (laughs) Things aren't built to last. Now, I think it goes beyond appliances and refrigerators and TVs and things like that. Parents, kids' toys now, they're not built to last. You buy it and it's like within six months, Something breaks. We've owned probably five children's drones that they've all busted. And yet my parents have toys that I played with when I was a child, you know, back when things were like made of metal. Remember cars that were made of metal back in the day and now they're all plastic? Things aren't built to last. Now it's interesting because I think it's more than just products. I think if you look at people's lives now, is it just me or are people's lives just so incredibly fragile. Their emotions are fragile. Their relationships are fragile. Their marriages are fragile. Businesses at times are very fragile. And all of a sudden, now we find ourselves in, you know, 2020, who in the world would have thought we would be where we are today? And yet we see how fragile things are. It's when the storms of life come that those things in our lives are are tested. And we see this happening not just in our nation, but we see it taking place globally. If you have the ability to actually see that this thing is taking place all around the world. You don't see that on our news for whatever reason, but this pandemic is impacting nations all around the world. Matthew chapter 7 Jesus addresses this whole idea of things that are built to last. And this is like one of the most simple stories that if you grew up in church, you were taught. But the words of Jesus, I think, are so incredibly true to you and I today, being built to last. So Jesus is sharing a parable. He's sharing a simple story that illustrates a spiritual reality. When Jesus preached sermons, he would many times tell stories or parables. He would use object lessons that were familiar to the to the hearers of the day. He would use those stories to illustrate points that were simple on the surface, but had deep, profound, spiritual meaning. We know that Jesus is a carpenter, right, by trade. We knew that he would be familiar with things like building houses. So he kind of draws from his skill set of, of carpentry, and he begins to kind of talk about things that are built to last. It was a parable that was relevant in his day and age because the people that were hearing it understood the land. They understood the valleys. They understood the dry gullies in the summer. And they understood the incredible rains that would come that would fill those areas. And they would know as Jesus was telling this story, the images would come to mind of rushing water that would impact homes in different ways based on whether or not they were built to last. And so I want to dive into this text this morning and talk to you about it in three specific sections this morning. Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27. So the first kind of beginning piece to this parable that Jesus is talking about is he's talking about the houses that we build. He starts talking about two different kinds of homes and what these homes represent. These homes are not uh, physical structures, but he's speaking about two types of people's lives, a life that would will respond to the ups and downs of life, a life that would respond to the varying seasons that we experience, two lives that would respond in completely different ways to storms. Now, whether you're joining us online at home or you're watching at uh, some of our friends at Center uh, Correctional Facility, Center County Correctional Facility, or, or you're here in person today, every one of us has one thing in common. You're building something. You're building something. And this home represents this life that you and I are building. Every person is building a house, a life. People build that life on many foundations there are people that will build their life on the financial resources that are passed on to them from generations there are other people that will build their life on the foundation of natural talent and ability or intellect But Jesus begins to talk about how these two homes are built and how the the way that they're built determines their destiny, not just in this life, but for eternity. It's the difference between success and failure. It's the difference between life and death. It's the difference between great reward and losing it all. Jesus says at one point, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and what? Lose his soul, lose everything. It's the difference between acceptance and rejection, between being able to weather the storms that we experience in life, or to fall like so many fall, just in a very fragile society. So these two homes represent two different people's lives. And this is so incredibly important as we dive into these verses, because who in the world would have thought we would be where we are today? In a country that the things in which people have grounded and rooted their lives in are being shaken and will continue to be shaken. Idols are falling. Trust is eroding. Confidence in what is truth in our society is eroding. People are, are losing hope. They're not as trusting. They're not as confident or, or hopeful. So we face what we face, right, in this world. We're in this world as Christians. It's very real what's taking place in our world today, but we are not of it. We don't respond like everyone else. So you look at what people are facing. They're facing a virus pandemic. They're facing economic stress. Small businessmen and owners, they're they're concerned with people telling them how to run their business that they've invested their life in. You look at the tourism industry, it's like non-existent. It's very easy to get a hotel room for a guest speaker right now. They're losing trust in leaders, and all of a sudden now everything is thrown into this kind of political pot that is being stirred. When we read stories like what we're going to read about, it's, it's easy at times to say, well, you know, we're going through a lot in our country It's very difficult. It seems so uncertain. You know, we almost look at the Bible like it's detached from the reality that we face. But can I remind you as we read this, what Jesus is, you know, Israel in this context is an occupied land. There's Roman dictators. They're occupied by superpowers. The over kind of arching principle was might makes right. Power makes right. Right. There was this idea that there was like no social net. The land of the peasants was stuck in poverty. There were high taxes, a corrupt taxism or tax system, no democracy, no unions, no labor laws, very little human rights. And so, you know, as, as Jesus is writing this story, it's not like detached from the reality of like we're in a difficult place. It applies exactly to where you and I are today. He's speaking to the Jewish culture that's very unpredictable. It's uh, being occupied by a foreign power who they want to overthrow. They're filled with uncertainty. And it's in these times that we ask ourselves, what do we do? Do we isolate or do we do like what Jesse talked about last week? We we live our lives on mission. We We see the value in coming together. We understand the opportunities that are all around us, that it's in the darkest moments of our lives that the light of the church and the light of the gospel should shine brighter than ever before. But you've got to be grounded in the right foundation. That's what we're talking about today. Look at what it says in verse 24 of chapter 7. Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. Jesus says that there are people in life that build their lives on a rock or on a foundation. We read this and it's like, well, that makes sense, right? That makes sense that there are people that will build their lives like we would build a home on a very stable and secure foundation. But he also goes on in verse 26 to say this. He says, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who builds his house on sand. Now, when we read that, we're thinking, I get the wisdom in building a house on the rock. But we read this and we're like, this is insane. Like nobody would do that build their life or build a home practically speaking on on a very fragile surface or or structure you read that and you're like that just sounds absolutely insane but you need to read it in context as jesus is sharing this story there's a deeper meaning jesus as he's sharing this he's he's sharing it by the sea of galilee this was an, an area when you actually study the culture that was filled with alluvial sand. So what you got to do when you hear this word sand, you've got to get the, the white kind of dusty, fluffy, you know, beach sand. Get that image out of your mind and replace it with a picture of a mixture of clay, a mixture of sand, a mixture of silt, a mixture of gravel that was ringing the shores as Jesus was sharing this parable. It was a hard surface that was very hot in the summer months. It it became very hard. It became very dry in this season. The hearers of this parable would have understood the type of sand that Jesus is talking about. It's not this kind of real fluffy kind of stuff on the... uh, fluffy's not a good word. I mean, that's like... But you know what I'm saying. It's not like beach sand. It's like a hard texture composite sand. We'll come back to this later. As Jesus is sharing this, he's, he's saying what would happen when the waters and the rains would come from the Jordan River, would, the sea, the, the water would overthrow the banks, and the homes that were built on this hard alluvial sand would become unstable in their foundations. But the homes that were built on, on the bedrock would be able to withstand. The flood waters. This is a story that if you grew up in church, you were taught from very little age, the contrast between these two different types of homes. But there's something about these builders. They actually have many things in common. Both of them had a desire to build. They had a desire to build a life. But they chose a foundation. One was was. Uh, A supreme foundation from the other. They both had heard the instruction. They both built homes that looked good. They looked sturdy. In fact, these homes could potentially have been absolutely identical on the outside. But they experienced very different outcomes when the rain and the floods and the winds became a reality. When the storm came, one of them remained sturdy and strong, right? And the other quickly became unraveled. And the difference was not in what they looked like on the outside, but it had everything to do with the foundation. And we'll come to that in a minute. So Jesus says there are two different types of lives that people built one on that hard alluvial sand. The other is deeply grounded and rooted upon the rock. Now he goes on and he starts secondly to talk about the storms that come. As Jesus is kind of telling this story, this parable, he pictured kind of Palestine's climate where the rainfalls would would come, the rainy seasons. Have any of you been on the mission field during the rainy season? It's just, you're like, how in the world can this much rain happen in this particular place? Excessive flooding, poorly grounded homes. Here's what he says in verse 25. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall. Write this down if you're taking notes. Just as character is revealed by fruit, faith is revealed by storms. Just as your character, who you are as a person, is revealed by the fruit, the evidence of that in your life, so your faith is revealed in the tests of the storms that come. I've said it before, a faith that can't be tested can't be trusted. One of the great things that you can have confidence in when it comes to your faith is not only the reality of what the authors of the New Testament suffered for the reality of what they face, incredible hardship, persecution, and things like that. But you look throughout church history and you even look in our world today where people are remaining strong in their faith, even in the midst of some of the most horrific storms and persecution around the world. A faith that can't be tested, can't be trusted. Verse 27 goes on and it says, the rain came down the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell with a crash. So it says that these storms come. One of the homes, what? It doesn't fall. The other fell with a great crash. It's like a house of cards that is so fragile that in that moment, everything begins to crumble in the midst of the storm. Now, I don't think... The two builders of these lives intentionally or desperate or, or, or intentionally or or deliberately started to build with this whole idea of a false or inferior foundation. I don't think they kind of went out with that mindset. I think the builders of these two lives didn't necessarily understand their purpose. And you really can't fault people in our world today that don't have a relationship with Christ. They don't know what we know based on the truth of God's word. So they build their lives based on what? Today and you know what's best and how I feel and all of those things. By default, kind of uh, somebody outside of relationship with Christ, they're, they're building their lives on the broad road, the Bible says, that leads to destruction, right? That's like the default mo of the age so the bible says that this foolish builder is the man that hears the instruction this is amazing to me because what this scripture is talking about is not describing the person that never heard the gospel it's not describing the person that's totally ignorant of the things of god this person could have perhaps even heard the gospel This person could be aware of scripture. This person could be sitting in a church in our nation today, and yet the reality is they haven't heeded the word of the Lord. And the Bible says even though they hear the words, their lives quickly begin to crumble. They're in a very dangerous position. They know how to build, but for whatever reason, they choose not to build their lives according to the wisdom that we see in this scripture. Now, what are the the storms that Jesus is talking about? I think there's one final storm that we'll talk about in a second, but I think he's also covering things like literal storms. I mean, you look at the storms in our world, things like tornadoes and hurricanes and floods that in a moment, have the ability to just absolutely wreck and devastate a region. Literal storms. I think we also understand figurative storms. You ever just been in a season, you say, man, it's just like, it feels like a storm. Whether it's sickness or disease, the loss of an unexpected person in your life, a financial setback. Or all of a sudden you experience like the devastating consequences of another person's sin and their, their response to that. And all of a sudden you experience those, those consequences and it just feels like a, one of the sucker punches of life. You look at what's taking place in our world today, it just feels like a global storm. Things that have the ability to take away possessions and and health and so many of the things that people value in our world today, but how we respond to these types of storms or these tragedies reveal to us the quality of our building. Are we going to be emotionally like dis, dis, uh, you know, devastated in the moment, or are we going to be able to stand strong? Are we going to continue on without like a sense of despair and and losing hope so there are real storms that we face, and figuratively, I think all of us have been there. Is it just me? Have you been there before, right? Make no mistake, Jesus is saying there are two different types of lives. Both of them are experiencing storms, but the most important storm is kind of the the final storm, right? We talk about the things that are temporary that we go through, and the Bible says, like, those things are are not in compare to what's on the other side, right? We live so much in the reality of this moment, but what is a life, the Bible says, but a a vapor, a mist, and it appears, and it's gone. Hebrews chapter 9 describes this final storm, verses 27 through 28. It says, just as each person is destined to die once, after that comes judgment, so also Christ was offered once for all time as a sacrifice to take away the sins of many people. Thank Jesus that he was offered as a sacrifice once and for all to take away the sins of many people. The Bible says he will come again, not to deal with our sins, but to bring salvation to all who eagerly wait for him. See, there's a final storm where every person that doesn't have a relationship with God will experience the storm of all storms, the judgment of God for sin. Sin that hasn't been dealt with through relationship with Jesus. It hasn't been taken care of through relationship with Jesus. I mean, you can go back to like the contrast of the parable of the talents in Matthew chapter 25, a couple chapters later, where we hear, you wicked and lazy servant, But we also hear, well done, good and faithful servant. There is a final storm. And so the ultimate kind of reality of grounding our lives is understanding all that Jesus has done. So that when that day comes, thank God through Jesus, what we are in him. We are in him. You should take great hope. In the reality that one day, if you're a Christian, you will be with the Lord and he will wipe away every form of sickness and disease. He will wipe away every tear from your eye, the Bible says. But the reality is, as Jesus is sharing this parable. He's, he's kind of reminding all of us there will be a final storm. But there are real storms that we face in this life. And we shouldn't be We shouldn't be surprised by them. John chapter 16, verse 33, Jesus says, I've told you these things so that you may have peace. He says, I've given you my word so that you can experience supernatural peace. Not just peace, but my peace. Did you ever see Jesus anxious about anything? Did you ever see him in a hurry? Did you ever see him like, I don't know what to do? No, he says, I'll give you my peace. I've given you this word so that you will have my peace. In this world, you will have trouble. You'll have storms. You'll experience pressure. But take heart, I have overcome the world. So we shouldn't be surprised whether it's a literal storm or a figurative storm that we face. We shouldn't be surprised when all of a sudden there's things like a global pandemic or whatever you want to call what we're going through. Matthew 24, 6 through 8. You'll hear things like wars and rumors of war. So don't be alarmed, the Bible says, for this must take place. But the end is not yet. For nation will rise up against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places All these are but the beginnings of birth pains. Luke records it a little differently in verse uh, 11 of chapter 21. He says, there will be great earthquakes in various places, famines and pestilence. What's pestilence? A fatal epidemic disease. Look at our world today and you shouldn't, if you know this book, you shouldn't be surprised. There will be terrors and a great sign from heaven. Last time I checked, birth pains don't stop. Right? Until, obviously, maybe. But, but this whole idea of birth pains, and, and something that I've really kept in mind as we are trying our best to navigate through this thing, this, this is probably not gonna be the first storm that we experience. If it's birth pains... We don't necessarily read this book and all of a sudden say, well, we're in Christ and nothing else is coming down the pike. The Bible actually says the opposite, that we should expect these types of things in our world today. Is this the beginning of birth pains? Possibly. Is it the process of them? Possibly. Do we really know for sure? No, and I have no problem telling you, I don't know everything. But here's what I do know. Luke twenty one eleven. there'll be great earthquakes in various places, famines and pestilence, a fatal epidemic disease. Let's get to the hope side of it. Building to withstand the storms. Can I say to you today that I really believe that our goal as a Christian is not to avoid storms? <laughs> like there are a lot of stupid things you can do in life, that'll throw you into a storm pretty quickly, right? But I don't necessarily know that the goal of the Christian life is to be absent from storms. I think the goal of the Christian life is to be rooted in a greater reality that guarantees your ability to weather those storms. I've said over and over and over, and I'll continue to say it, we don't fear what other people fear. We're not anxious about what they're anxious about. Why? because we're rooted and established in a greater reality. We're not ignorant of what's going on, but our lives should be planted in a way that's very different. People need to see that in your life because they're not getting hope anywhere else. And if they look to the church and they look to the Christian and we're responding like everybody else, We're no different than anybody else. And so why in the world even hear what you have to say? Jesus says that you and I can build to last. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, the Bible says, here's the key, and puts them into practice is like a wise man who builds His house is like a wise man who builds a life on the rock. There are two key things that I want to share with you from this portion before we pray. If you're going to build a life to withstand the storm, and I believe many of you have, I believe there are many people here that you are facing what everybody else is facing that you work with, that you live with in your neighborhood because of what you've done on the front end, you're able to respond very differently in this moment. Not that you're ignorant of it, not that you're oblivious to it, not that you aren't concerned or respectful of other people. I mean, you do, you know, we're mindful of what's taking place, right? But we are living and responding like everyone else. Two things. Number one, you need to prepare with the future in mind. Write that down. Preparing with the future in mind. The Bible says, the wise man who built his house, he built it on the rock. Here's something you need to see about this. You know, a lot of people in our society today, they're not planning with the future in mind, right? They're living for what? Today. And you know, if I wasn't a Christian, I probably wouldn't blame myself because this life is the only heaven that I know about and will experience. So why not just live for today? But now that's kind of the general operating principle in our society. People do not build a life and prepare with the future in mind. When you really study kind of the finances in our country, there is a huge percentage of people that have less than $1,000 in their saving account. Good luck facing what we're facing with $1,000 in your savings account because they didn't build or prepare with the future in mind. I'm not sitting around like I stockpile, you know? I have enough food for about eight days. We could probably stretch it to two weeks, okay? I'm not like a, what do you call those doomsday, you know? Trust me, like I'm not a prepper, okay? Okay. <laughs> But I also understand that, you know what, you've got to build with the future in mind. So many people are just living for today. And now we see the results of of what's taking place. Because all of a sudden, their foundation was like, you know, very fragile. Many of them, their foundation was our government. That was their foundation. And so as long as the government takes care of me, I'm okay. You know? But you take that foundation, you start shaking that. They don't, they don't have much of anything. So you've got to be able to build and to prepare with the future in mind. See, go back to this sand. Both of these individuals that built homes built on this hard alluvial sand. They both built on the same sand. But here's the difference. The wise builder looked to the future he understood that he was beginning to dig the foundation of that home he was looking to the future he pictured the rains he pictured the water coming from the Jordan river he pictured it overflowing its banks he pictured with the future in mind, that alluvial sand all of a sudden coming up and being unstable. So instead of taking shortcuts on the front end, he realized as he saw a picture of a preferred future, he realized ahead of time that he needed to dig deep. He needed to get down into the bedrock. And so he spent the time and the energy and the work and the sweat and the camaraderie of the people to dig up that alluvial sand to get at least 10 feet down to establish that life or that home on a very solid foundation. He saw the same sand, but he prepared with the future in mind. What did the other person see? A quick, easy, beautiful home. I'll rip this thing out. I'll get it done really quick. It may look just like the other, but he took shortcuts. He took shortcuts. He was fooled and deceived because he wasn't looking ahead. They built on the same sand, but one took the work to get down deep because he realized that his life needed to be on that rock if it was going to remain stable. So he took the time to dig deep. He counted the cost. They both at some point looked ahead and they said, you know what? We're building homes. But the wise man said, you know what? I'm counting the cost. I'm counting the time and the energy and the effort that's going to get my life rooted. But at the end of the day, it was the wise thing to do. What is that rock? Because if you don't hear this, I've just wasted up to this point, everything I've said. What is that rock? What is that foundation? If they both started on the sand, what is, now, if you grew up in church, you'd say Jesus. And I'd say, yes, but no. Because that's like the default answer for everything, you know? Kids, when you're asked the question in kids' church and you don't know the answer, Jesus typically is like a catch-all, okay? But this is a little bit more specific. Hearing and doing. Now, I want you to understand, we are not saved by our doing, right? Right? There is nothing that you did on your own strength to be made right in the eyes of a holy God. Salvation is not a goal that we achieve by our doing. It's a gift that we receive by faith, okay? Be very clear about that. That being said, there are, once you are in Christ, things you've got to do. Therefore, Anyone who hears these words of mine, both of these builders heard the words. But here's the difference. One put them into practice. And that individual was like the wise man who built his life on that rock. See, a lot of people hear the same thing. There are many of you guys in this room even You will walk away hearing a variety of different things. And I actually love that because a pastor gets up and talks, but the Holy Spirit takes those words and he speaks. And I'm okay with that. There are people, they'll say, I love what you talked about recently. And they start describing I'm like, that was like a very secondary point to anything that I said. But you know what? It was a primary point from the Holy Spirit to that person, Right? So you'll hear different things. The Holy Spirit will speak to you in different ways, right? But the Bible here is saying there are people that hear the instruction of the Lord and they don't put it into practice. Our hearing must result in our doing. I want to tell you a story about an 80 year, 81 year old man with zero flying experience. His name, his last name was Cooper Smith. He was flying in a plane with one other individual and he was forced to fly this aircraft and make a successful landing, even though he had never touched a gauge in an airplane. June 17th, 1998, he's with his 52-year-old pilot friend, R- Wesley Sickle. They're flying from Annapolis to Indiana and during the flight, pl- the flight the pilot slumped over and died at the controls. That's a storm, right? You're just like looking out the window and you're like, this is beautiful. And all of a sudden it's like, okay, what's the plan? So he grabs the controls, has no idea what he's doing in this Cessna 172 single engine plane, but he finds a way to get on the radio and pleads for help. There are about... There were two pilots that heard the call, and they knew, you know, there was an airport that wasn't really far. And so these two pilots that are on the radio begin to give him a steady stream of instruction, how to climb, how to steer, and eventually the scariest part of landing a plane that you have zero experience in flying. So they're going to attempt to, like, pull this off. This guy is 81 years old, okay? So they call out the emergency vehicles. They're ready for what appeared to probably be an absolute disaster. The witnesses that saw it that day said they saw the plane's nose kind of nudge the center line and bounce, you know, a few times before the tail hit the ground and eventually hit a patch of soggy grass next to the runway, But he successfully was able to land a plane with zero flying experience. Why? Because in that moment, he realized his absolute inability to do just about anything other than listen and apply the instruction that he received. You've got to look at your life with that level of intentionality. Could you imagine? They're like, this is exactly what you need to do. I know you're, you're not supposed to touch your face. Sorry. <laughs> Can you imagine? They're like, you know, hit, hit whatever that button is. Push that gauge up two degrees or whatever. I don't understand any of it, but push it up like two degrees. He's like, well, no, I'll, I'll go 10 degrees. I'll go 10 degrees. <laughs> push that a A17, and he's like, no, well, I'll push... B, B6 feels right. That looks right. <laughs> Keep it steady. No, I need to throttle. I, need to, like, I mean, it's absolute foolishness. And yet what Jesus is saying, there are people that read this book and they do the same thing. Oh yeah, Lord, I know. I know you said that. But I'm, I'll, I'll go that way. Yeah, I know that you, I I get it, I get it. But I feel like, I feel like 12 degrees. You've got to have that level of intentionality when you're in Christ. Because I really believe, listen to me clearly, I don't believe Jesus teaches his children lessons with storms. I don't believe he's like, you know, I don't want to teach you how to grow in this particular area, so I'm going to send you a storm. I don't believe he teaches. I mean, think of the nature of a father. He doesn't teach us by destruction, but he does by instruction. And what you do with that has everything to do with how deep you're digging down and rooting your life in that reality. Jesus is saying, this is that rock. The one who hears the words and puts them into practice. This is the very essence of building your life on that foundation. It's like as radical as radical discipleship could ever get. Jesus, you said it, I believe it, I'll embrace and I'll apply it to my life. Don't confuse this symbol of rock with 1 Corinthians 3, 9, where Paul talks about the foundation of the church in Corinth being on Jesus. It's very clear. He's talking about obedience to the word of God. The one who builds their life is hearing and and responding. They're not like this superficial, phony, kind of casual Christian, but they get into the word and they realize that this is everything to me. It's what will help you and I weather the storms of life. One more scripture that we'll get to, James chapter one. Turn there. Because it gives us a, a perfect picture of what this looks like. James 1:22 through24. Do not, oh, it'll be on the screen. Do not merely listen to the words and so deceive yourself. We live in a world that is filled with deception, but the Bible says you can actually deceive yourself. Don't merely listen to the word and deceive yourself. Do what it says. Repeat those four words. Do what it says confidently. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks, I love the imagery here, who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Immediately forgets what he looks like. The, sec, the first part of this verse, verse 22 talks about God's word. In essence, it's saying that the word of God grows in the soil of our obedience to that word. The word of God is to take root in the soil of our obedience. In order for a lesson to make a difference in a disciple or a student's life, it's gotta enter the heart and the mind and affect our lives. We can measure that effectiveness, by how much you and I are willing to yield to what the spirit of God is speaking to us through the word. And it says in the verse 23 here, it says there are two different things, that there are people that take almost like a casual look into the word without letting it affect. Have you ever done this before? Just be honest with yourself. You ever just read the Bible to get it out of the way? Because you know you're supposed to do it. So you, I know you're all perfect. (laughs) But I'm sure there's like one imperfect person here that at some point in time, you got up and you're like, I just have, I I need to get in the word. And so you just like, and you just, you just read it. And you're like, thank God I'm done. Thank you, Jesus, for this day. Amen. The Bible says that that attitude, that casual look into the word of God It's like a person that looks into a mirror and they walk away completely unaffected or changed. Could you imagine how absolutely ridiculous it would be if this morning you got ready in the bathroom and you're brushing your teeth? And as you get done, you've got like that residue of toothpaste on your lips and crusties in your eye. And like you look into the mirror and you walk away totally like ignorant, like you just didn't care. You walk in, your wife's like, honey, you got to do something about that and that. It's like you looked into the mirror. I know some of you guys are looking at each other because you keep each other in check, right? (laughs) It's It's like that quick glance, but there's no change. There's no transformation. There's this casualness. But it says in verse 25, but whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. That's the kind of attitude that I want to have. That's the kind of approach that I want to have. If Jesus says the very essence of what's going to ground my life to weather the storms is my obedience to the word of God, I'm not going to be a casual looker. Casual student, casual learner. I'm gonna look intently into this book and say, Lord, what are you teaching me during this time? In what ways are you transforming me during this time? Obedience to his his will is the test of true faith in Jesus as the worship team comes. Write this down. It'll be on the screen. Information without application leads to frustration. When you apply information that you received, you get results. I don't believe that there's a storm that you're going to face in life. Listen to me. I don't believe there's a storm that you're going to face in life that the Lord has not already addressed. Here in the Word, that if you dig deep, you say, "Holy Spirit, would you speak to me? Would you guide me into all truth?" He will teach you by instruction, so that you can weather those storms. Now, I I I don't believe that. (laughs) I mean, these are the words of Jesus. Okay, if he said there are two types of lives one that is rooted in obedience to the instruction of the Lord and it has the ability to stand strong and one that's not and it can't weather the storms, you can wake up tomorrow and say, you know what? I don't care whatever comes our way. You can stand strong during this time. That's God's best for you. You can stand strong. Let's stand together. You know, it's, easy to learn all the right religious vocabulary. It's easy to sing the newest and the latest songs. But when a person is born of God, born again, you have the spirit of God living within you. And that spirit enables you and I to know and to do the will of the Father. All right? So two questions that I want to ask you before we pray. I want to ask you just to search your heart. Would you just close your eyes? and Let's go from hearing to allowing the Holy Spirit to speak to each one of us today. I just want to ask you these questions. Number one, in what ways during this season have you felt your foundation is a little uncertain? I'm not saying your life is uncertain. I'm not saying you're not a Christian or you're in Christ. But over the last several months, as you've searched your heart, as you've spent time in the word, as you've spent time in prayer, in what ways during this season has the Holy Spirit just kind of allowed you to realize that there's an element of your foundation that's uncertain? What is that area? Is it in your family? Is it in your marriage? Is it something emotionally? Is it in the area of your career? What is robbing you of peace and joy and hope? What is that crack in the foundation? Because as you ask the Lord to reveal that during this time, you know, Jesse talked about recently revelation So important. But I'll tell you the key to making sure that particular piece of that foundation is stable and secure is in your ability to connect and apply the word of God that fits to that particular area of your life. But you've got to be able to identify it. You've got to be able to pinpoint it. What way during this season Have you felt just a piece of that foundation? It's just a little bit uncertain. And if you can identify something like that, the challenge to you is when you go home today, this week, say, Lord, would you give me some key truths from your word so that I can dig deep and to fix that part of the foundation? Maybe it's what you believe about healing. What you believe about peace. What you believe about your calling, your your assignment, your your career. But then the second question is, what is God speaking to you through his word today? You know, and I don't necessarily even mean this morning. But over the last couple weeks, as you've just been spending time in the word and in prayer, what has the Lord been speaking to you? If the answer to that question is nothing, I would hope that your first step is acknowledging the value and the importance of digging deep in the word. But I'll tell you, if it is something specific, I really believe during this season, would you look at me for a second? I believe really during this season that as you spend time and you spend time in prayer and in the word, There are things that God's going to speak to you through the word that are going to prepare you for what's in store tomorrow. Amen? Amen? There are things that you've got to dive deep in and say, Lord, what are you preparing me for? Because he leads not by destruction, he leads by instruction. How many of you your heart's desire is that even in the midst of whatever we're facing in our world today, that our lives are rooted. They're able to weather the storms. Amen? Maybe you're watching today and you're in, gathered at home or you're in prison or you're here in person. The first choice, this decision you need to make is to surrender your life to Jesus. Because I don't you can spend your whole life studying this book. But if you don't know the Lord, if you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus, that's not gonna be enough. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father but by me. It's not in trying harder to go to church, trying harder to read, more scripture. It has everything to do with you acknowledging sin in your life saying, Jesus, come in, forgive me, cleanse me, fill me with your spirit and your power, transform me from the inside out. When you pray that, from the depths of your heart, he begins that transformation in your life. And then you dig deep in the word and you realize that he is a God that continues over and over and over to speak to us. Is there anybody here today? You've never surrendered your life to Jesus, but you wanna do that? Maybe it's for the very first time or perhaps you're here and you've lost, what I would say is like you've lost your first love. You used to have a passion for God. You used to love to spend time with him and in in the word, but you've just lost that passion or that enthusiasm. And today's the day you're like, Lord, I need to come back to you. Restore to me, the Bible says, the joy of that salvation. Anybody? If you're watching from home, Wherever you are, let's just pray together. Dear Jesus, I need you. Come into my life, fill me with your power. I repent of sin. Jesus, forgive me, cleanse me, make me new. In Jesus' name. I would challenge you this week. Get into the word and say, Lord, I know there are things that you're going to speak to me this week that are going to prepare me for what's ahead. And as you do, I believe that he will honor that. Your life will be that life that has the ability to withstand the storms that we face. Father, I thank you for every person that's here today. It's not in trying harder to build a life that withstands the storms, but it's keeping our lives surrendered to what you're doing. Father, I pray you would speak to us this week from your word. Father, I pray that we would dig deep in your word. Father, give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart that responds. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us this week. If you would like to further connect with us, you can find us online at scaccesschurch.com or on any social media platform. Have a blessed week.